Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, Happy New Year. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. And today on The Breakdown, the first of 22, we are going to uh, talk about the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. We're also going to dust off our crystal balls and talk about the big political stories likely to unfold in 2022. Don't call it a prediction, though. We'll be joined by Joe Garofoli. He is senior political writer with the San Francisco Chronicle. Well, and happily, one of those stories already happened this week. We don't have to predict it. San Diego Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, one of the most powerful lawmakers in Sacramento with a long list of accomplishments announced she was resigning her seat to take a big job with organized labor. We're going to talk about that decision with her, hear her reflections on her past and future career. Maybe there's a crystal ball involved here, Scott. <laughs> Maybe a little capital gossip. Oh, I'm, I'm all ears. Well, we're delighted to welcome her back to Political Breakdown. Lorena Gonzalez, Happy New Year. Congratulations. I guess that's the word on your new job. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited. It's my first day free of the title of assembly member. Um, I just signed uh, the acceptance to, to return to organized labor as a... a, a now, what is your title? Yeah, you your transition. You're kind of in transition, right? I am. I have no title. That's why I stopped myself from saying <laughs> it. Um, I have absolutely no title. Um, I'm employed by the California Labor Federation in anticipation of becoming its executive secretary treasurer in July. Um, so spending the next six months um, just getting my feet wet and getting a, a good uh, view of what's going on in organized labor internally and externally. Well, we want to get to all of that, but we do want to ask you how you're doing, because uh, you're as, as one of the presents uh, from your going away party uh, was uh, someone who was there was infected with COVID, uh, one of your colleagues, in fact, in the assembly. Uh, how are you doing? I mean, well, you're already I, sort of dealing with recovering from uh, cancer, so uh, you look fantastic. We can, we can yeah, attest we to can that. Yeah, we can report that. Thank you. Um, well, I, I will say Senator Becker, who has it, it has stated that he is now um, COVID positive and, and stated that he was at um, a little kind of get together that that a number of us had. Um, I'm fine. I, I tested. I, I'm negative. Uh, I'll continue to test and, and do whatever the CDC guidelines say I need to do. Um, I, I can assure everybody that people who were not eating or drinking were wearing N95 masks and some people chose not to eat or drink at all. So um, it was a large area, not super small packed together. Um, it, you know, it's unfortunate, but as we see right now, the Omicron is just making its way everywhere. But I do, I, I did joke, I gave Josh Becker a little bit of a rib. Um, he gets a little bit of a pass. You know, he was the jockey for my AB701 last year, um, my, my bill about Amazon workers. And so, so I, I still am thankful for that. And, um, but I gave him a little rib because he came down um, to play some of my, he 
he carries all of our favorite music on his Spotify. He has a Spotify with like different members' favorite music. So he came down to play me some Selena and uh, gave me some, he gave us all some COVID exposure while he was there. Some Selena and some See, there's, there's your gossip. There's your gossip. Well, yeah. I, you know, we got to wonder how this year is going to play out for the legislature. But I'm curious, like leaving, you know, you, well, I, I think we should mention Fox News led the story about your resignation uh, with a headline with expletives that you had directed at one point to Donald Trump and Elon Musk. Um, you've gotten a lot of attention and done a lot of really big legislation. Is there any unfinished business that you are bummed about walking away from this year? You know, there is. Um, there always is going to be, right? So I, I have some bills that were two-year bills that uh, I'm hopeful that I can't advocate for that they're picked up and, and taken. Um, but one of the things that I... I don't know until I have a chance to to get back to advocating directly to the legislature, which will be a year and a half from now, is um, staff unionization. And that's just something personally that I had hoped to finish before I left. And it just timing wise, I couldn't. This is legislative um, staff? Yeah. You know, for me, one of the things that from day one, I, I had a hard time kind of figuring out is the fact that the legislature exempts itself from a lot of um, labor laws and that our staff, uh, despite what we pass for other people, don't have the right to really have a voice on the job, the right to unionize. I just, um, at my core, uh, had a hard time with that. And so, um, you know, I kept saying, I kept threatening, okay, okay, but next year I'm going to pick at you if you don't let me hear this bill, you know? Now that you're Uh, gone, you can do that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But, you know, I I know it's a hard concept for existing um, folks to kind of wrap their their arms around, but every worker deserves a voice on the job, and I hope someday the legislative staff. Can. Well, and you had a lot of success with legislation. We mentioned you mentioned the the, the Amazon bill, and obviously uh, Uber and Lyft workers, gig workers in general, many other things. But you also had some disappointments. Uh, Governor Newsom vetoed a couple bills that were near and dear to you. The farm workers rights one with regard to their uh, union elections and also another one to expand paid family leave. And it seems you had something of a complicated relationship with the governor. Um, You're smiling. So I think I think I think I'm on good ground there. How would you describe it? You know, it, it's actually not that complicated. I feel bad because I see Joe is on here and I just got done doing a pretty long interview with him and I don't want to like step on the toes of things I told that's him. Okay. Yeah, you that's can, fine. You can step on nobody Joe's reads toes the, Nobody reads the Chronicle. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. I was like, I told him some stories. Maybe No, um, I, I have known uh, Gavin Newsom for years, obviously, since he was mayor of San Francisco when I was um, head of the Labor Council in San Diego. Uh, he'd come down, visit and... Um, try to get my support on different things. So I, I, I've known him for a long time. We've had various levels of agreement and disagreement. I'm a straight, sh- a straight shooter. You know, I'm going to tell people what I think of what they're doing at the time that they're doing it. And um, I think he's grown to understand that. But, you know, I, I, I think overall he's he's done more things than he has um, things that I don't like, more things that I do like. Um, and I appreciate that and appreciate what he's done so far. But I have high expectations for what he's going to do in the future. I think that farm worker bill will come back. I expect and I hope that I'll be um, I can actually lobby him. So I, I hope and expect that I'll be lobbying him to sign that um, paid family leave the expansion to ensure that there's a uh, wage replacement. Um, That actually has broad political support in the legislature of both Democrats and Republicans. I'm hopeful that somebody picks that up and gets it to his desk and we'll push for that as well. 
So you tweeted something this week that caught our eye, which is that when you get to Sacramento or in a legislative body, there's this saying, like, don't fall in love with your bills, kind of this idea that you shouldn't be too close to something you're trying to get over the finish line. And you like straight up rejected that. Um, Can you talk about why? And like, what is your advice to the colleagues that you're leaving behind in terms of their passions? Well, you know, that's one of the first things they tell you. And they attribute it, I think, to Willie Brown or Jess Unruh. I don't, I I get confused of whose advice it was, but they say, don't fall in love with your bills. And it means different things to different people. But I remember from day one, I was like, well, why wouldn't you? I mean, that was so counterintuitive to anything that I've ever done in my life. But, uh, you know, I fell in love with the bills, especially the bills that that were big, that were hard. Um, and I thought that was important because the way you actually make changes to 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 go all in, to risk everything, you know. And and I think one of the things that legislators unfortunately are afraid of is this perception that they lost. You know, in fact, one of the first things you ask me is, "Well, you've lost some things. You had some things vetoed." You know, yeah, I have. I've had probably more vetoes than any other legislator that's currently sitting. If you look at my entire year, I should do the count. I've also probably won more victories. Um, so we did that count. It's a little higher. Yeah. Um, well, you, you left everything you, on you the mi- field. I right. You miss, you miss all the pitches you don't I, swing at, right? Exactly. exactly. Two sports you know, metaphors for and, you. No. And I learned early, like, you know, I, I played little league. I was one of the, fr- I was in fact, the first girl to play little league in, in um, Vista where I grew up. And, you know, you learn, yeah, it looks really ugly when you swing and miss and you go down swinging, but you know, so much better than going down looking. And so um, for your sports metaphor, there it is. I, <laughs> yeah. I well, gotta... There was a great Nike campaign a few years ago that like even the top hitters who, you know, hit 300 or more, they missed two out of three times, you know, and they were kind of saying, don't, don't be afraid of failure. Listen, um, it was, you were, it was no secret that you were also interested in some statewide offices. Uh, you opened up a committee, I think, to run for Secretary of State. Uh, and then Shirley Weber, your native San Diegan, was appointed to that job. I know you were interested, perhaps, in the uh, Attorney General job as well, perhaps. Maybe, maybe not. Um, <laughs> so do you, you know, do you, where, where, where do you think about all those things, like, quote unquote, higher office? Uh, I realize you're going to be focused on the job you have now, but are you leave, do you feel like you're leaving elective office behind? Um, I don't know. You know, anything could happen in the future. But uh, one of the things that's funny, I opened up a committee, of course, to run for secretary of state. And that was my um, desire. I, I was at the time doing a lot of voting legislation. I, I had rationalized that we could have more people vote that would affect working people. It was an indirect way to continue to help workers, I thought. Um, and, and that was it was tough. It was tough to see my former seatmate, my good friend, um, somebody who never had expressed interest in the office be appointed. Um, I think she's doing phenomenal. It's great. Um, but it made me really uh, reexamine. Was that the best road forward for me. And I will say um, after this last year, and especially after being diagnosed with cancer and kind of doing a lot of introspection, um, this job offer came at the perfect time because it, at the end of the day, and everybody knows this, my my single focus has always been, or my most um, essential focus has been on workers and working people. And so um, unions and, and the strength of unions and how that helps everybody else in life. So to have the opportunity to join um, the State Federation of Labor and, and look forward to leading the State Federation of Labor, the largest labor organization organization in the United States outside of the AFL-CIO nationally. I mean, uh, that's a dream job for somebody like me. Um, But it still gives me one foot left in politics once 
foot left in governance and um, the ability at any point to say, hey, we, we should do something else. Yeah. Well, Lorena Gonzalez, we wish you all the best in your, what, whatever comes next for you. And we want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to us on a very big week, week for you. And uh, hope you get out of whatever that is you're in. It's not quarantine exactly, but I'm glad you're feeling well. Thank you. It's not affecting. I, I'm not going to infect anyone. I have nothing to infect them <laughs> with. But I, if I did, I'm not going to infect anyone. I'm just kind of hanging out in my house. <laughs> All right. Former Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, thank you so much. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to look ahead to politics in 2022 with the San Francisco Chronicle's Joe Garofoli. You're listening to, listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast 2 at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And joining us now is one of our favorite colleagues in the world of political journalism, Joe Garofoli, senior political writer with the San Francisco Chronicle. Joe, Happy New Year. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. Well, it's always good to be here, and, and thank you for those kind words. Unlike the the the, the insults you you were, we were holding you, you know, in the previous that's, segment. That's because you, we knew you were muted. Yeah, I know you tell be muted, and then yeah. you're gonna rip me. That's the okay. only time Gary right, Foley gets muted. Um, right. Well, let's begin with your column today, which uh, talks about the GOP uh, a year after January sixth, and included the phrase, "Why can't the Republicans quit?" Donald Trump, and I appreciated that Brokeback Mountain reference. Yes. Uh, and I bet Liz Cheney <laughs> did, too, coming from Wyoming. Um, but Maybe uh, not, actually. Yeah. That's What's, a whole other story. All uh, right. Yeah, well, that's, that's a complicated story. Yeah, it is. What's your take, though, on, uh, on where the party is? And, and, and this, you know, they try to be, you know, disavowing, but also they can't, they just can't let go of him. Right. They're, they're in, they're in uh, no person's land. Uh, you, they know that the base of the party still is 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 in trump's camp so they the candidates can't tick those folks off and at the same time how can they grow the party in a state where two-thirds of the folks of the voters here voted against trump and and still find him reprehensible how can they grow the party if they don't speak out against him? and and nobody very few people want to want to go into the breach um but it's so I, but i gotta say like it's so interesting because 
I mean, clearly nationally, <laughs> they're more relevant than ever, right? And so like, right. and, and then you see that this has not been a decline in California among the GOP that started with Trump. This started 25 years ago with Prop 187 and quite frankly, some of the same themes, nativism, anti-immigration, but like, I, I just, it seems like, I mean, like, do they have anywhere to go? I mean, Scott, where do you think? Like, if you're Jessica Milan Patterson, the head of the California GOP, what do you do in 22? You know, I, I don't think they have a good playbook for this. I mean, they've got some candidates uh, who they think might be in the mold of the more moderate kind of candidate, like Lon Hee Chen from Stanford, the Hoover Institution, who worked for Mitt Romney. He's going to try to run for controller. But, you know, we all know this. They haven't won a statewide race since 2006. Um, and so and we saw what happened to Larry Elder last time around. And, you know, and I, I just wonder, you know, Kevin McCarthy, of course, is poised perhaps to become speaker if they can, you know, win back the House. And, yet, and if he has a district. <laughs> well, yeah. And yet, Joe, you know, we've seen Kevin reach, Kevin McCarthy reach for this before and kind of fall flat. Right. And uh, the, uh, I think he may have learned his lesson this time. And if he certainly if there's a wave election uh, he would be, you'd think he'd be the speaker because he, he led the Republicans to that. He recruited many of the candidates. Um, but th- there is a, you know, the one Kevin, another Kevin from California who who tried that or could have possibly been that type of different Republican was Kevin Faulkner, uh, who, you know, was seen as a moderate Republican, led the mayor, former mayor of the second largest uh, city in the state in San Diego. But then, you know, he fell into that same trap. He didn't vote for Trump in 2016. He wrote in Paul Ryan's name. And then in 2020, he voted for Trump. Uh, and so he's going to be, you know, you know, you're not all one vote and everything. But, but, you know, if he runs again, he will be painted as a Trump supporter. And that's, you know, it's, it's poison in California. Right. But and it's he's not still deciding whether to run, by the way. He's still, uh, and he very well may now that the elder's out. And there's, there's no... There's no major Republican running for governor. That's pathetic. Yeah. Well, you know, and then then you got in the Central Valley, you got David Valadeo, who, you know, who lost in 2018, won it back in 2020. Now his, you know, his district may be a little tougher for him um, and he's going to have some tough opposition. You know, but he voted for impeachment, one of very few Republicans in California to do that. And yet, you know, you can see he's now sort of in a fix because he's, he's just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with Trump to come after him. Right. And he's and as you alluded to, he has a tough opponent this time, uh, Rudy Salas, who's a, an assemblyman. He's from the area. He's uh, and he's going to have a lot of money behind him. Uh, Valadeo is one of the Republicans in California who is in trouble in, in the House uh, and incumbent Republicans who is in trouble. Uh, another one is. Um, uh, uh, Mike Garcia in suburban Los Angeles. He, his district in the redistricting process lost Simi Valley, as we all know, the home of the Ronald Reagan uh, uh, Presidential Library. And so his, his district got a lot more Democratic, and he's going to uh, he's gonna have some trouble. He's got several uh, Democrats running against him. Uh, so there's two incumbent Republicans right there who's, who are going to be in trouble. Right. And we're also, I think, all I mean, the Central Valley is one thing we saw, you know, I think Josh Harder, Democrat out of Modesto, has a slightly more challenging district. But Orange County, I mean, that's been for years, it was this Republican stronghold. And, you know, four years ago, wait, 
what year is it? Yeah, yeah. four yeah, years ago. Yeah, it'll be yes. four years ago. <laughs> 2018, it really became this battleground. We it saw, is. you know, these flipping of seats back and forth over the past years. And now we see Michelle Steele and Young Kim, um, two Republicans who won um, Asian American women. It looks like both of their seats are going to be a challenge, as is Katie Porter for her in Irvine, a rising star in the Democratic Party. So, I mean, do we think this could all just like like wash out, right? Like it's like one district like a surfboard then- at Huntington <laughs> Beach. <laughs> yeah, Michelle Steele's going to have have a little, probably the most problems out of that crew. Uh, her district definitely got a little bit more Democratic uh, and a little more inland, uh, and she, but at the same time, it got. Uh, more Asian, like almost uh, the number of Asian American voters doubled. So she might, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it's a toss up. I think that some of the national prognostic. Well, what do you make either, it. either one of you? I mean, what the difference, of course, one difference between 2018 and 2020 is in 2020, Trump was on the ballot and he won't be on the ballot in 2022. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about what difference that'll make? And obviously he did, as Jessica Milan Patterson said, he brought out the voters. Right. And, and he that's uh, Democrats are going to try to make sure he is on the ballot again. They're going to. But is that really t- a winning strategy? I don't know. No, it's it's yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's 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 what they got in some of those districts where there there are swing districts. Another issue that they're going to try and bring out is abortion to, to bring out their voters. Uh, the specter of the Supreme Court, which it's very likely to overturn or at, at least uh, gut in some ways Roe v. Wade. Uh, they are hoping that the abortion issue is is something that'll bring out their voters. Because remember, a lot of these Democratic voters are 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 pissed off right now. They said, "Hey, Biden, we 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 uh, voted for you. We voted for a Democratic Congress. We wanted big things happening, and they feel that it's not been happening." And and some of those uh, uh, coastal uh, districts in in Southern California, and the environment's uh, a big issue. They and and. Nothing's happened on, on climate uh, so far, or very or not certainly not what was promised. Hmm. Right. On the flip side, I mean, it's not you're Michelle Steele, you're defending a seat right where there was that huge oil spill. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a, it's, it's a little messy for all folks for, for both sides. And I'm wondering um, everyone's thoughts on the pandemic. I mean, obviously, it's early yet. Right. But we are in yet another surge, another variant. We're seeing all this debate around schools and reopening. I mean, my personal feeling is it's kind of early to to paint to, to know whether this is going to be an issue by November because we've just gone through so much. But I don't know. I mean, Joe, do you think it, because it seems what's happening right now is that there is some disagreement, some fracturing among the left around how to handle this latest surge? Yeah, um, and that has a, a, a practical implication and a, and a, and a, and a, and a policy one too. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, 20, 2020, uh, Democrats said that one of the reasons they, they weren't able to uh, do better in the House and, and to, to one of the reasons they lost some of those seats to Republicans in California was they weren't able to do door-to-door uh, campaigning, which the Democrats, that's what they thrive on. They, they thrive on getting those union voters out that Lorena's going to be in, in charge of. Uh, and, and they're not going to be, uh, they weren't able to do as much of that. And that's why they lost, they say. They say. Um, and on, on, the, the other, on the policy aspect, we're going to see a, at least one ballot measure, possibly two, um, from Republicans, from conservative forces, that would uh, basically be school choice ballot measures, would allow parents to uh, use state tax dollars to go to whatever uh, public or private school they want to. Republicans think that's their get out the vote 
measure uh, for this year. Uh, they, because that is a very big issue to conservatives, but it's also, as Marisa, as you say, it's also becoming an issue for the left. People, well, parents yeah. are very frustrated yeah. with uh, school closures, and 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 they and they're turning on teachers. Exactly. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown. Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. We're talking with the San Francisco Chronicle's senior political writer Joe Garofoli about the year ahead in politics. And senior, senior, you're not a senior. <laughs> Come on. Well, you know, you guys are so ages. <laughs> Hey, it's your title, bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we before... here told me it's a terrible title. He told me here. He's like, yeah. why don't st- take that off the title? Yeah, I'm a, like I'm a senior too, but at yeah. least I'm closer in age to the reality. Okay, uh, let's not go there. Um, what about Latino voters? Because, you know, I, I've talked to a number of Democratic consultants who are really worried. Uh, they've seen some shift away from Democrats in the last couple of election cycles. I think COVID uh, did not help. Uh, a lot of Latinos were disproportionately hurt economically by the close down, the shutdowns. Um, what are your thoughts uh, about that? Marisa, start with you. Like what, uh, what, do, what do the Democrats have to do? Or is that just much ado about nothing? I guess I kind of feel like we all need to reframe how we talk about not just Latinos, but like broader groups. I think that what we've seen in the last few elections is the the reality that people don't vote based on the demographic sort of tags next to their names right and that i think you know there has been a taking for granted honestly of latinos and other voters of color by democrats um i think when you dig into it there's a lot of difference if it you know generationally regionally just like there are among say women, right? And so like, I almost think that some of this is like, we need to change how we think about this. And that like, it might be more accurate, if you know, you're talking or trying to appeal to voters to be thinking about other things that they might actually sort of not hold closer, because I think people's identity is super important, but like that the, they that actually drive their voting pattern. So if you are a Latino in the Central Valley, you will probably have different concerns than if you are a Latino living in San Diego, you well, know? Yeah. And to your point, you know, Rudy Salas is running uh, for Congress against Valadeo, and he's Latino, of course. And you'd think that will help bring out Latino. A lot of I think a lot of voters think Valadeo is Latino. He's actually <laughs> yeah. Portuguese. Portuguese. But, uh, but but what do you what do you think, Joe? I mean, is that going to give him, you know, maybe an additional lift? It may, but I, I'm, I'm with Marisa on this. And I think that it's uh, certainly with, with Latino voters and with other voters, I think economic uh, issues are are going to be paramount. I mean, that's it's the pocketbook issues. We are if you look at look at California, we are a it's the, the coast has one lifestyle and one economic uh, pattern for the most part, and the inland California has a different one. And they have different priorities, and, and, and they're, they are struggling a lot more than many folks on the coast are. Uh, and I think that's going to be a, a pocketbook issue. Um, and the other thing is, like, you know, I was talking to Mike Madrid, who we all know. He's, a, a, you know, studied the California uh, Republic, used to be California Republican uh, political director, and uh, has studied the Latino electorate. He was saying, you know, uh, it's it's much more about one reason that uh, Latinos are, are moving to the Republican Party in other states is uh, over some of these economic issues. The reason that hasn't happened so far in California is because, I think, as Marisa alluded to earlier, uh, we have this history of uh, anti-Latino measures, uh, Prop 87 and so on and so on, from 20 years ago that, uh, that really... Um, 
politicize the generation of folks and and uh, and move them to the Democratic Party because those measure measures were pushed by Republicans. Right. Uh, so it's a, it's a different dynamic here, and uh, but at the same time, uh, I think the economic matters. I'm uh, as a as a pseudo Marxist. I always uh, think it's all about the money. <laughs> okay, well, let's... But the other thing that is going to, I think, be a big issue for Democrats and Republicans in, in 22, um, and that is, again, splitting folks on the left is around criminal justice. And Rudy Salas is yes. a great example of this. You know, he's running for this district uh, for Congress in the Central Valley where he lives, and he actually introduced legislation this week that would essentially roll back one portion of Proposition 47. That was the 2014 ballot measure that changed a lot of, um, you know, felony to misdemeanors for possession of simple drugs, things like that. But we've seen so much attention paid to it by opponents because they really blame a lot of the retail crime and other things happening. Um, and it just strikes me that the fact that you have somebody like him positioning himself as not necessarily opposed to all the reforms, but saying, no, we need to take a look at this, like that is a sea change and, and speaks to, I think, the challenge Democrats are seeing when they frame criminal justice reform. Well, right? we're going to see two very big tests of that here in San Francisco, June 7th, uh, where Chase Boudin, the progressive DA, is facing a recall. And, you know, that's going to be kind of the coming attractions for November when you've got Rob Bonta, the attorney general who has never faced a statewide electorate before, being challenged by the more conservative former Republican DA in Sacramento, uh, Anne-Marie Schubert. There's also a Republican running as well, Hockman. But, uh, you know, this is one of those issues where you can look at statistics and they can say one thing, but if people aren't feeling safe, they want to feel safe and they're going to make a change. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and that, uh, and, and so much of this issue is, is not going to be framed by policy or statistics by, by what people see every day and by what people see on their social media, by what people see on television. And, and that's, uh, you know, these, the, uh, all the crime that they see, the, 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 the thefts, the mass thefts and such. And that has going to have an exaggerated uh, toll on, on a lot of these races. Uh, it's, the Democrats are, gonna, are facing an uphill battle on that. Bonta and uh, Chase Boudin fighting his, his recall. Uh, the, the one advantage that Bonta may have in that, in that statewide race is that Anne-Marie Schubert is an independent. And so many people vote reflexively R or D. She is going to not ha- is going to have neither next to her name. So it's right. going to be a challenge. All right, Joe, you're a long road. It's yep. a long road ahead. A long yes. road ahead. Joe, <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Buon Capodanno to both of you. All right. Go Steelers. That does it for this edition of Political Breakdown, our first episode of 2022. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer, Katie McMurrin. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Risa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Cheers. I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. 
special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.